0: On power talk am 1460 and fm 101.1 streaming worldwide on iheart radio jan price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business the jan price show you're listening to the jan price show and today my guest is award-winning cinematographer adrian peng correa did i get it right <laughs> Adrian, Perfect. okay, great. Perfect. Thank you, thank you. Wow, you've got a fascinating backstory. I loved reading about your father and your mother. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, for our audience? Because it really is fascinating, and it it created who you are today and why you're doing what you do. So I think that's really important and very key. Uh, you, why you became a cinematographer. Can you tell us a little bit about each of your parents?
1: Well, my parents were kind of like polar opposites. You know, my my father was a very uh, insular, kind of reserved person who was a tinkerer and kind of a master of all trades. Um, He was the kind of person who could like find out how to put in a toilet main on a weekend and have it done by Monday. And uh, he was very resourceful in And that way, and my mother was the complete opposite. She was grew up in a small village called Prey in northern Thailand, uh, without basically anything, um, not even running water. And uh, you know she was and of a person who's kind of born out of that life, she you know was resourceful in different kinds of ways. She was a very resilient person, but she also had this kind of uh, joie de vivre about her in terms of uh, she was had this kind of marvelous effervescence about her, and she kind of wore her emotions on her sleeve. And I'm kind of a mix between those two people, and uh, and they were both critical to the person I am, and they were both kind of instrumental in terms of uh, the parts I value uh, in myself as an artist. You know, whether it means the technical kind of side of cinematography and photography, or is it the uh, the, the kind of artistic expression and. And uh, the natural kind of emotional quotient that comes with being an artist is definitely something that comes from my mother. So, you know, it's a a healthy balance between them that kind of informs who I am today.
0: And, And where did you grow up?
1: Uh, we grew up in a small little uh, Middle class town in Connecticut uh, Right along the shore called Milford uh, My father uh, met my mother During the Vietnam War and then brought her Over here um, and it was uh, It was a you know it was a Kind of quiet modest existence for a long Time we never went on vacations or anything but you know, The one thing we could afford to do as a Family was go to the movies and it was Something that was uh, kind of It was we never got to go anywhere but We always got to go somewhere because of the movies mm. So in that way it always became a really specific and important release to everybody. And everybody in the family has very different personalities. So everybody would kind of bring certain things to the fore. My father was a big science fiction and fantasy guy. My mother loved visceral movies because she couldn't speak English very well, so horror films and monster movies really appealed to her. My brother Michael was uh, uh, really big into kung fu and, and action movies. And my brother Anthony was into like more kind of gritty... Uh, like uh rough fair like the Warriors and stuff like that, so I kind of got the basis for all my film education from this really eclectic group of uh strange people that were the Koreas. so you know it was it was it was it was kind of it was kind of that my entire life and and it still informs me today because i love I kind of love everything i kind of I kind of watch everything so
0: and how did that lead you to become a cinematographer?
1: Well, it was, it was funny. It's something I kind of denied myself, in know, a, in a, for a long time because it was, uh, it was something where I, um, my father wanted me to be an engineer and I was studying to be an engineer at the university of Connecticut, which was a, you know, a good practical career that my father would thought was good because I would make a lot of money and I had good security. And after three years of trying to be an engineer, I still didn't know what an engineer did. So, um, I eventually failed out of the University of Connecticut School of Engineering, and then I started uh, kind of just being like, well, I can't can't get any worse than this, so let me just try and find out what I like to do. And I started studying history and sociology and doing very well, but senior year, uh, senior year in, in, in University of Connecticut, there were these classes on filmmaking. And uh, there was Professor Bob Smith, and I started to take them, and I kind of reappointed myself, not just with my love of movies and appreciation for them, but kind of the critical way to look at them and think of them as, as pieces of art and something that were made by human beings as opposed to just something mythical on a screen. And then my history professor who I was very close friends with was a huge foreign film advocate. So he would tell me movies to watch and I would go and rent them from the local video store. And, and that kind of became my next level of understanding and learning about film was, foreign film from Bob Asher and old classic Hollywood stuff from Bob Smith. And then slowly over the course of that photography, still photography, which is a big uh, passion of mine came back to me. And then something really critical happened when I was uh, 21, uh, 20 years, right around there was my mother uh, got diagnosed with, uh, with cancer. And, and then I graduated because they wanted me to kind of finish school and then I basically just waited because my mother was uh, terminal and I was trying to take care of her as best I could with my brothers and my dad. And and then when she died, when she was 53, um, I was 24. And the first thing I could think of was the fact that if I died when my mother died, uh, my life is essentially half over. So what do I want to do? And um, I saw a documentary called Visions of Light about the history of cinematography. And I became obsessed with cinematography at that point, I said, I owe it not just to my mom, and, but to myself to live the life I want to live. So uh, I went for it as hard as I could.
0: What a wonderful story. You know, taking something that is potentially very tragic and, and uh, looking at it and uh, learning in a, a, a wonderful life lesson. So what a gift. What a gift. I mean, we don't it always is. look at death as a gift, but it was a gift. Your mother gave you a gift.
1: It was her last bit of direction to me, in many
0: ways. And she's watching over you, I'm sure, every day, what what you're doing. So how did you break into this field? It's one thing to decide that cinematography is what you want to... First first of all, I love cinematography. Without cinematography, I mean, obviously there's no movie, but some movies... the cinematography just comes off the screen, and uh, and and you're really paying attention to every you know everything. In it. I'm, I've been watching The Crown lately. I've uh, been binge watching shows this summer all about England. I don't know why, but I have. And uh, the cinematography in The Crown just blows me away. You know, uh, yeah. it's just it's mind-boggling that this is you know on you know Netflix, and uh, and and the quality is just superb. So. In, yeah. For you, what what makes, you know, how, how did you break into this? Because it's a tough industry to break into.
1: It very it very much is, especially without any kind of formal training or, uh, or, or or resources in the industry or from film school. So I had nobody who went to film school who I knew and nobody who I knew was in the industry. Um, and also The Crown, shot by Adriano Goldman, amazing cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but the uh, the... the the, the, the thing for me was I, at least I was near a, a big production center. You know, I mean, I was I was within a train ride of New York City. right. So my friend Michael Field was like, we should just go and try and maybe you want to go to a small film program. So I went to a small film program for like eight weeks. And I had already written, read, read dozens and dozens of books by that time. So everything I was learning in this class, I was like, I already know this. And what's the point of me just sitting here? And then I met a uh cinematographer who worked at that 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 training program named salvador Bolivar, and salvador basically hired me to come be his camera pa and basically started teaching me cinematography and um and then he was going to take a pa job because he was you know he didn't have a lot of work and then he said do you want it i took whatever jobs i could get and then i just started to build my uh my my career uh, building my contacts and working as hard as i could after that next job i got a job on law and order as a pa and uh and then i just started to work my way up and then i found a kind of way to use a skill of mine to try and get hired which was i always loved baking and uh and if you know grips and electrics and like guys on set they always like everybody loves like cookies and cupcakes and stuff and and i would bake for grip and electric and camera crews and i would get hired Because, oh, he's the guy who bakes stuff. And I would bake bake stuff for people and get, I remember this one key grip loved, chocolate chip pound cake with vanilla icing so i would make one for him like every week wow and i would keep getting hired based on the pound cake (laughs) so and then i just i kept building contacts and baking as much stuff as i could and, and it just ends up working because you know people like with films when people are on film sets they're they're away from home so often that getting just a little touch of that kind of like connective tissue with the person and making the place feel more familial which baked goods always do um, ends up making a big impact. And I just kept getting hired and then just kept working and building contacts and meeting people. And then it slowly started to form after uh, a long period of, of, of building relationships
0: amazing okay for anybody who wants to break into the film industry learn how to bake (laughs) that's the takeaway today (laughs) learn how to bake and bake your way into a career
1: (laughs) another gift from my mother
0: yes definitely do you still bake are you still baking
1: (laughs) i oh are you kidding me i i i just started my show meeting my my friends my new friends for the show love life that's going to be for a HBO Max and Warner Brothers. I want to and, talk uh, about that, yeah. I, in, yeah. I went in to meet those people yesterday, and I brought them chocolate chip oatmeal
0: cookies. There you go. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, let's, well, we'll talk about a lot of things. <laughs> um, let's talk about the new, because uh, you're going to be on HBO Max, which was just announced this week, which is... Uh, warner media's uh streaming service that's launching when is it is it launched already or is it or is it going to be launching so. at the end of the year is it at the end of the year when they're launching it but they finally gave it's it 2020. a name 2020 2020 okay finally
1: gave it a name they finally gave it a name it it's early 2020 because our show is going to be one of the first shows i believe
0: and you said anna kendrick is starring in this can tell us a little bit about what it is so the uh the the, the show what it's well, about
1: well it's it's a it's a it's an anthology show, and it's uh, it's about a, uh, a, a a young woman, and she's tracked through her life and through her relationships over the course of the season. Uh, I think that's about all I can really say. But, <laughs> okay. it's, uh, but it's but it's got some really interesting people, and it's uh and it's the, the material I've read so far has been really great, so I'm excited to uh to tackle it.
0: Interesting. Now, okay, so I watched Glow because uh, you did the cinematography uh, for Glow at on Netflix and uh that was kind of that's fun. That was a, f- a very fun show if if no one's seen it before. Yeah. It really is kind of, it's again about the, the the movie industry. Um yeah. What were the challenges of filming because so much of it is filmed in a ring. You know, it's about female wrestling. Of sorts, many other things too, but so a lot of it's, you know, wrestling in a ring. Um, you know, how did you approach, uh, that, you know, filming that, uh, in, in, because there's some interesting shots. There really are some very interesting shots that, of course, I was paying attention to the cinematography as as I was watching it, but, uh, how did you approach that? Well,
1: just because I did the cinematography on the second season. Uh, first season was done by Christian Sprenger and then he handed the, uh, the season, the uh, show over to me. And uh, And the funny thing about Glow is that it kind of is an amalgamation of so many different kinds of genres. It has comedy, it has drama, it has the sports element with the wrestling itself. And And the funny thing about it is when you're trying to, to, to shoot a show like that, it's you have to have a plan in terms of the way you're going to progress and kind of isolate and, and highlight certain elements of comedy, drama, and then... You have to have an ability to be able to shoot essentially action with the sports elements in the Mm -hmm. ring with people who aren't necessarily athletes. They're athletic and they train very hard and they work extraordinarily hard, but you're still dealing with actors first as opposed to stunt people. So, you know, using shots that kind of highlight how like the uh, the impact of the action without giving away some of the more safer elements and being able to uh, give energy and kind of uh, kind of diamondism to the camera in the ring was something that was really critical to us. So Ross Kasha, who is our uh, steadicam operator, uh, was critical to that. He is uh, incredibly physically thick and he was able to kind of give us uh, the, that kind of incredible action and energy in the ring with his operating. And then you know you build out the context of the of the, of the action over the the course of of, of uh, the coverage you find pieces that kind of highlight emotions or highlight particular things you want to highlight from from a dramatic or an action standpoint and then uh and then they put it together in post in a in a way that you know that's still magical to me so
0: very fascinating. Very fascinating. I'm sure you approach each one differently, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But if you were just tuning in, you were listening to The Jampire Show, All About Movies. And my guest today is Ad- award-winning cinematographer Adrian Peng Correa. And we're talking about how he approaches uh, cinematography. You, you've worked on feature-length films, too, correct?
1: Oh, correct. Before I did uh, TV, I was in feature films for the better part of a, a decade and a half, so...
0: Yeah, it was a, a big part of my career for a long time. What, so, what are some of the films that you worked on, Adrian?
1: Uh, my couple of my favorite films I've worked on, I, I did a, a, a horror comedy about uh, what happens to a person after they're possessed called Ava's Possessions with a director named Jordan Gallen, who I uh, I love very much and is very, uh, just a fantastic talent. That was with Louisa Krause, and, and uh, that's a really, really fond memory. And then there's another film that I did called Night Owls with uh, Adam Polly and Rosa Salazar and Tony Hale. And that's about uh, essentially the moment, if you remember the moment from the, the apartment when Shirley McLean kind of overdoses and Jack Lemmon has to keep her up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that she yes. doesn't OD and right. uh, that's basically the premise that small premise is kind of ballooned into this story about a, a, a young woman who uh takes a young man to a house and then she tries to kill herself and the, the guy has to keep her up over the course of an entire night and it's basically just two people in the house talking for 90 minutes but uh from a comedic and an artistic standpoint it's one of the most satisfying things i've ever done still one of my favorite projects so
0: And and how do you approach um, when you're doing a feature length film versus uh, a, a series? And are you on? Are you when you sign up for a TV series? Are you contracted for every single episode for the year, or are there other people doing some episodes? Or how does that all work?
1: Well, it depends. If it's like a really big, like hour long show, or something that's incredibly detailed and demanding from a production standpoint they'll often do what's called alternating DPs. So you'll do like the odd number episodes and another director of photography will do the even episodes. And it just makes things a little bit easier for production so that the director of photography and the directors of those episodes can actually prep their coming episodes while the other group is shooting their episodes. And it just makes it a little bit cleaner and easier, but it also costs more money. Uh, and if you're doing something now for most of my shows, I've been the sole cinematographer, whether it means glow or American Princess or Rami, uh, I was there every day, all season. And and that's a little bit more uh, difficult, but it also allows you to have full control over the course of the season. And, and productions like having cinematographers there because they're the steady hand they're the person who's there every day and they can be able to uh, shepherd new directors who come in and maintain the vision of the creators. So in that regard, those are the, the, the differences. Uh, when it comes to shooting feature films, you know, the thing about feature films is that you're not beholden to a clock, if it's network or if it's a specific time limit uh, for a show, if it's a 30 or a 60 uh, minute show. and then uh, So you so it, when you do TV, a lot of times, especially with comedies, you have to make sure that you cover yourself in terms of the edit so that they can cut away lines that they don't think are funny or working or that they can shave the, the, the show down with coverage to be able to fit into a time frame. With features, you really aren't limited in that regard. You can have the freedom to be able to not cover something if you want and tell things simply with one piece of coverage or one shot, or you can allow yourself to, uh, to, to, to have a little bit more freedom in terms of the way you visually express something. You know, certain shows will allow you, if they're like a single camera show, like Fargo on FS, you know, that's a single camera. Those are very specific shots that can only be done one camera at a time. And then you have shows like glow where they want to be able to cut any couple of lines. And there is are such a huge ensemble you need to cover to make sure that you can get everybody's story told. And in that regard, you know, GLOW relies a little bit more on the coverage to be able to not only maintain its t- timing, but also to be able to tell particular stories, give particular stories more weight in the edit if they feel like the show needs to shift in some regard. And features have a lot more freedom to be able to determine their world in terms of the edit, in terms of the running time. It's, uh, it's, that's, it's a little bit more of a different animal in that regard.
0: When you're working, who, who are you working mostly with the director? Is he the one who's uh, directing you as far as what kind of shots he wants? Or do you have, uh, I mean, I'm sure, I know you're working with the director, but you, do you have a lot of autonomy and input about what you think the shot should be?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, if you're, uh, it really does depend on the relationship that you have uh, with your director. And or in, if you're on TV with your creator's. And uh, that's that's another big difference between film and television is the fact that you know in 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 feature films directors are the are the ones who have the singular vision. If you're making their film, and uh, and in that regard, it's a much more collaborative process. But there depends also depends on the people. You know, certain directors have complete technical mastery of, of everything the camera does and have very specific ideas about how to move camera and use it. And other directors who are, are much more concerned that the cinematographer is able to interpret the visual language of the film and they're more concerned about the, the mechanics of the human drama and performance. So it really does depend on who you want to deal with. When it comes to TV, you know, directors who come in and work in TV, they have to deliver the show to the production company and the creators. And if they don't give the creators and the production company those the things they need to tell the story in the ways that they want to, and those directors sometimes don't get asked back to come back and direct again. So, it, you know, and, and, they, and the creators and the writers have that kind of power in television. So it is a very different animal for a cinematographer to work with a director on a feature film and then, and, and then be holding to them and their vision. And then turn that around into television and know that the director is an important part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the creator and the writers have great sway over the power of the way the material is interpreted.
0: Do you have a preference between the two? Do you prefer uh, television oh. over uh, feature film or or not?
1: I um my main thing is that I want to tell stories and I, and the and wherever the best material is wherever the best stories are being told that's where I want to be. So if I can get a script as good as Ava's Possessions or Night Owls and tell that story on film in and, and a feature, amazing. If I'm working in television and the script like Rami has great possibility for social significance and to bring a uh, kind of a, the realization of a family and and uh, and a uh, and a religion and people that really haven't been seen that much on. TV, then that's an amazing opportunity as well. I don't really particularly have a preference but I just want to know that I'm telling stories well and importantly and that people frankly get to see them. It's great to be able to tell stories on film but if nobody sees your stuff you know, it does, you do want your at the end of the day you do want the material you're doing to be seen by people you want it to have an effect on people's lives like the, the effect it had on me for so many years when I was a young person I think about those films and the impact they had on me and, and I would love to have that kind of impact you know like I still think about how important shows like All in the Family or MASH were to me when I was younger and I think about the way uh, movies like uh, Back to the Future and, and and Jaws when I first saw it and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Drive-In when I was six years old you know I mean it makes I just want it to be impactful, whatever the story is. Whether it's something terrifying and unreal and fantastical, or if it's something dramatic and completely human and reality based, I just want to be part of those kind of stories.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally understand and I totally agree with you. Do you do you uh, get things that you turn down? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of course you do.
1: I mean, I, there's countless times where I've read scripts and I'd be like.
0: I'm not sure if this is for me,
1: and then it goes and wins an award at some film fest,er and you're just like, <laughs> but, um, but you know that, that happens, and like it's it's funny. Like usually, I have a friend, uh, Stacia, who always tells me that she's like, you know, things happen for a reason, and then and uh, out, out of the blue, whenever I feel like maybe I make the wrong choice, something ends up opening, and and I can tell you right now, like when you work in film and you really love it, the experience is always amazing because the people are usually pretty great and uh at least that's been my experience and um and i wouldn't trade any film experience i've ever had it's um it's incredible and it's uh it really is uh whenever i think about it i think about how thankful i am for the fulfillment of being able to live this kind of life because it really is amazing it's
0: Wonderful. Uh, it's such a pleasure having you on the show. I love talking to people who are excited and passionate about what they do and it's obvious that you are. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. If you are just been tuning in or if you just at the end, my guest today has been a uh, award-winning cinematographer, Adrian Peng Correa, and uh, we are talking about his career in cinematography. If you have time, go to the Jam Prize show all about movies and check out any archive shows that you may have missed. And And uh, listen to the Price Movie Minutes. And also check out iHeart's podcast channel to listen to past shows. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeart Radio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. The Ozio Theater in downtown Monterey is now open every day, showing independent and foreign films. The Ozio Theater has new concession offerings, including beer, wine, hard cider, and their homemade Lush Slush. You can now schedule private event screenings for community charity events, birthdays, anniversaries, or just a fun gathering of friends. For more information, visit the Ozio Theater online at oziotheater.com.